Beloved, let's turn then in our Bibles this morning to uh, 11, 17. That's where we're at. So Hebrews 11, verse 17. I'll read it all the way down to verse 40, all the way down to the end. Of course, I'm not going to preach all that. Don't be afraid. I know you're all thinking, my goodness, guy. No, 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 no. No, no, no. But yes, beginning of verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he received the promise, yet he was offering his one and only son, the one in whom it had been said, your offspring will be traced through Isaac. He, that is Abraham, considered God to be even able or to able even to raise someone from the dead. Therefore, he received him back from the dead, figuratively speaking. By faith, Isaac blessed, blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, and he worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, as he was nearing the end of his life, mentioned the exodus of the Israelites and gave instructions about his bones. By faith, Moses, after he was born, was hidden by his parents for three months because they saw that he was, that he was beautiful and they didn't fear the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, and chose to suffer with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasure of sin. For he considered reproach for the sake of Christ to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, since he was looking ahead to the reward. By faith he left Egypt behind, not being afraid of the king's anger, for Moses persevered as one who sees him who is invisible." By faith he instituted the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn may not, might not touch the Israelites. By faith they crossed the Red Sea as though it were on dry land, and the Egyptians attempt, or sorry, when the Egyptians attempted to do this, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after being marched around by the Israelites for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, welcomed the spies in peace and didn't perish with those who had disobeyed. And what more can I say? Time is too short for me to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samuel, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the ragings of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, gained strength in weakness, became mighty in battle, and put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and other people were tortured, not accepting release, so that they may gain a better resurrection. 
Others experienced mockings and scourgings as well as bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned and they were sawn in two. They died by the sword. They wandered around in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. And the world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and on mountains, hiding in caves and in holes in the ground. All these were approved through their faith. But they did not receive that which was promised since God had provided something better for us so that they would not be made perfect without us. Amen. Today we're going to be looking at verses 17 to 19. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. He received the promise and yet he was, off, yet he was offering his one and only son, the one whom it had been said, your offspring will be traced through Isaac. He considered God to be even able to raise someone up from the dead. Therefore, he received him back from the dead, figuratively speaking. We remember that the Holy Spirit through the writer is reminding us, he's illustrating to us what a life lived in faith looks like. It's not enough for you to just simply say, I believe in God. And then to live your life any way you want. For you to define faith. Well, faith for me is like a flower. Faith for me. I heard a lady once say, and I think I've said it before. Uh, she had a dream and she said, well, for me, it's like a ballet dancer in a pink tutu. And she went on in this wonderful theatrical, hysterical image of what, what salvation and faith looked like to her. Beloved, it's not subjective. It's not what you think. It's the Bible. The Bible dictates what a life lived in faith looks like. It illustrates. It examines. It instructs us. So that as we who are living it out, we who are going through these things, we might understand our experiences as we hold them up to the Scriptures. And we remember those to whom the the author is speaking to, the writer is speaking to, they're going through a bit of a hard time. They're going through a bit of a persecution, whether it was physical persecution, whether things had ramped up to the point where, where Stephen had been stoned, where people were being imprisoned, where whole households were being confiscated. Imagine if the authorities, the church, the Lutheran church and the authorities came to your house and they just arrested you and your family, put you in maximum security jail, and then confiscated all of your belongings, put your house up for auction immediately, and sold it, took that money and gave it to the Lutheran church. You had no rights. As soon as you said, well, yeah, I'm not a, a, I believe in Jesus Christ, and I'm not necessarily a Lutheran, I don't hold to those particular beliefs, you're guilty. You've just committed yourself to saying you're guilty. And so they were, that was what was going on with these people. They weren't doing anything wrong. They weren't committing any crimes. They were the righteous people, the good people. They were doing the things that was required of them. And yet they were not obeying the traditions of Israel. And therefore they were coming under persecution. And this letter, sermonette, whatever you want to call it, is a way of the Holy Spirit strengthening their faith, 
helping them to really get a, a, a sound ground foundation on which they are to stand. Because now the, the, the temptation to go back, the temptation to keep their mouth shut, the temptation to do nothing, the temptation to blend in and to be like everybody else for the sake of a more enjoyable life, a more peaceful life, is very strong. And he has gone through the letters. We know I don't need to go through all the 10 chapters or 10 and a half chapters that I've gone through already. Outlining the superiority of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Not just the superiority of Christ, which he does, but of a life lived in faith of Jesus, of what he has done. And now in chapter 11, he is outlining what a life of faith looks like. And he's gone through from the beginning, from the, the, the guy straight out of the Garden of Eden. Going through Abel, he went through Enoch. He went through the, uh, the other one who I just couldn't remember, Noah. I was going to call him Moses. I don't know why I do that. Goes through those and he outlines their faith. Tells us what faith looked like. Why these men were chosen. What identifies their lives as lives of faith. They were productive. They were, they were men who persevered. They were praising. They worshipped in a... In a particular way. And today we're looking at Abraham. The father of the faithful. Paul identifies Abraham as the father of us all. The spiritual father of us all. Both the Jews and the Gentiles. He who brings both of those parties together. And in him both of us are found. In Jewish mind there was no greater figure than Abraham. Do you remember when... When Jesus is talking to the, the Pharisees and he says, you're the sons of the devil. And they get really offended and they say, we're the sons of Abraham. We know who our father is. Again, uh, making a slight of Jesus because you know, Jesus was supposedly an illegitimate child. They knew who their father's was, but Jesus didn't know who his was. But they claimed to go back to Abraham. They lift up Abraham. Why? Because Abraham was the greatest of all the biblical, Old Testament biblical figures. He's the one to whom the promises were given, to the signs were given, the circumcision. From him, the nation of Israel really begins to take form and fashion. And so in him, the writer, the Holy Spirit through the writer, or the, the speaker, points to. Now as Abraham was the, the greatest of us all, to him was given the greatest of all tests, demonstrations of his faith. This week when I was reading John Owen about this, John Owen says, said about this, the greater the faith, the greater the test. And in life we all face tests. It is the test that demonstrates whether you are faithful or unfaithful. Whether you believe in Christ or whether you have no faith in Christ. Here we see that faith is tested. If you are a believer, your faith will in Christ will be tested. Your commitment to Christ will be tested. Aye, perhaps not to the extent 
of Abraham. And I would doubt any of us will be ordered, commanded, compelled to offer up our son. We all know the story from Genesis 20, 21, I think it is, uh, where Abraham takes his son, goes up the mountain and makes the, the altar, is going to kill him. As he raises the knife, the angel stops him. And God substitutes it with a sheep, a ram that was caught in the thickets. And that's where we get the name Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide a lamb. Jesus is that lamb. Here we see that he, who, he or she, the person who walks the path of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, shall be tested. Your faith shall be tested. Whether it's a little faith size of a mustard seed, or whether it's faith the size of a mountain, you will be tested. I, again, I, I, when I was reading this this week, and I was reading John Owen and some others, I realized that we all in life go through tests. We all face tests. Whether you're a believer or whether you're not a believer, we all face tests in this life. We all go through circumstances and situations that are heavy, weightsome, that threaten to break us. And it's in those occasions when, as a believer or an unbeliever, what's inside really shows, what comes out. Here, this man was commanded to offer up his son. He was commanded to do something that necessarily wasn't lawful, although the law had not been given yet. And he was commanded to sacrifice him, to kill him. I, I've often thought about doing that myself with my own son. But uh, we, we would never be put in that situation. We would never be put in a situation where we have to offer up one of our own children. Especially one whom the, the, the Lord himself has said, through that child, all of your offspring will come. The promise will be fulfilled through this child, this miracle child. Remember, he'd waited 100 years or so, 99 years for the birth of this baby. And when it comes and it's going up, he's not commanded to offer it up. But why? Because he knows God. He believes that our God is able to fulfill his promises. He might not understand how. But he knows that God is able. For you and I, that is a great encouragement. We may not see how God is going to fulfill his promise. I'm a bit of a control freak. I, I, must, I, I work hard at not being a micromanager control freak. I step back and repent greatly of my, my overwhelming nature sometimes. And I bind myself up. But, but that reflects with God as well. I need to know how God is going to do stuff. Lord, how are you going to do this? What are you going to do? Lord, you need to explain it to me so that I can trust you. And the Lord's like, oftentimes I can just sense him saying, nah, nah, you'll just trust. You'll just trust. Again, great faith requires great trials. Small faith, small trials. And then, at the end of, of Abraham's trial, when God stops him from, from killing, God says, and now I know you believe. Now, God knew already. 
The trial wasn't so that God could say, Oh, oh, I see it, it's real now. I see that you weren't lying. I see that there was no hypocrisy or falseness about you. It wasn't so much for God's assurance, but rather for Abraham's, rather for the people around Abraham, that they might know and understand that Abraham was a man of faith, that he was God's man. And it was through God acting, God steps in and delivers. You know, he's coming down, whatever happens, whether the, the angel knocks the knife, the stone knife out of his hand, or bronze knife, whatever it was. God intervenes and God saves the boy. And again, it says here in verse 19, figuratively raises him from the dead again. It wasn't that Abraham was just willing to do it. Abraham did it. He continued in that which God had said all the way to the very end. It wasn't a case of, oh Lord, you know my heart. You know that I'm willing. I just, I'm not able. You know, Lord, that I want to. Just circumstances don't allow me to, Lord. What's my wife going to say? What's she going to come down the mountain covered in blood and uh, by myself, this child that we've waited almost 100 years for? Or 30, really, but you know. Great faith produces great trials, which then demonstrate again the rea- reality of God in the life of the believer. Beloved, if you are walking with the Lord, you must expect to face trials, difficulties, whether they're small or whether they're great, doesn't really matter. The size of them doesn't matter. You will face them. But how you face them, in the spirit of how you face them, is what matters. The demonstration that you are believing that you are resting in your faith and that God is carrying it. As Abraham was going up that mountain to sacrifice his son, I don't think he was biting his nails. I don't think he was pulling out his hair. I don't think he was like, oh, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? He was a man who was resolved in his faith. It says here that he considered God to be able to raise him from the dead. That word means was again resolved, was certain in his heart, had come to the end. He had worked things out. He had considered them. He had pulled them apart. He had analyzed them. And he had come to the position, the end result. God will be able to raise him from the dead. I don't know how, but I know he will be. I know he is. It's not a blind faith. It's not a faith that just says, uh, and runs off the cliff like a lemming. I know lemmings don't do that in real life, but you know, I, I, I like to think. When I was a young boy in the 80s, and all the school manuals used to tell us that in the north of Finland, lemmings threw themselves off the mountain or off the cliffs into the sea every year. You know what a lemming is? A lamella, lamel? You know, lamel, like a little hamster thing that lives in the... In the north, well, when I grew up, this is a sidetrack, I should get off this. this is a, you don't even know what was in the, the books in UK. Anyway, considered. He had considered. He had come to the understanding, and it wasn't a blind thing. He had looked at 
God's dealings with man in the past. He had considered the faithfulness of God in the past. He had considered the the answered promises. Here's a man who, he was 99 years old and his wife was 90 and they had a baby. If God is able, and the baby was born naturally, you would think of a woman at that age got pregnant, that would break her. She would just, bones like chicken bones, you know, like just frail and old. And yet the Lord was able to preserve them and the baby was able to be born. And then you had all the drama with Hagar, you know Hagar and her son Ishmael, where Sarah tried to, or Sarah tried to fulfill the promises of God by her own means. And instead of bringing blessing, they brought a curse, an enmity between the descendants of Ishmael and the descendants of Esau for the rest of their lives. He had looked at the past. He had looked at God's dealings and how God had led him. He may have had the secret writings of Job. We don't know. I read somewhere that, that, that Job, which is the oldest book in the Bible, may, the writings may have been available even to Abraham at that time. Being able to look at them, read them. See, the Bible isn't a new document. It's real. And the... the Ongoing revelation that God has revealed himself time and time and time again. And people have looked and known. It didn't just download into their head. They had record. They had memory. They, they, they looked at the evidence. They didn't just make stuff up. Ah, oh, I hear a voice in my head and it tells me everything's going to be fine. No, they had the records. The histories of their people. And they were able to apply that. And you and I, beloved, we the same. Our faith is not based on vain promises. It's not based on, you know, hold your thumb, cross your fingers, through salt. It's not superstition or blindness. We have the evidence of the scriptures. The evidence of what God has said and done in times past. But also we have the evidence of our own experience confirmed by the Bible that God has worked in us and done a work in us and has transformed us. Does the Bible not say he who has begun a good work in you will be faithful to complete it? Beloved, when you and I are going through the trials which must come and accompany your faith, that that God might receive glory from your experience. When you are put in a situation where you must stand for God before the world in your sphere of influence, you must look to the promises, you must look to the experience, and you must stand firm. There's a small thing or a big thing, doesn't really matter. All faith is tested. All faith is demonstrated to be true and real through testing. To say that I have faith and yet have no evidence is a vain thing. Your faith must be evidenced in your lifestyle, in the things that you do and the things that you don't do. 
but also how you respond in the time of trial, in the time of testing, in the time when you are put under stress or strain. I like this word tested. It can also be translated tempted or trialed. It's to take something and to make, you know, like whenever you buy, I was going to say a metal bar. Who buys metal bars? I know. In the olden days when they made ingots, whether it was gold, you know, you ever seen that in the, in the old films when they bite gold coins to see if it's a real coin or not? Whether it's lead covered in gold or whether it's metal covered in a gold. There's a testing. They, they, they put it through rigorous testing. That's the idea here. When Abraham was rigorously tested to see if he was sound, if his faith was sound, and he did. He offered up Isaac. You and I at times in our lives may be called to offer up those things that are precious to us. We're to lay down our lives. We're to give up some part of who we are and what we do. In order that at some point in the future God might raise it up again. That God might act upon it. You young man who have an ambition to be an elder. A leader in the church. But yet it's not God's time. You sense the call. You sense the longing. And yet it's not the available opportunity. The circumstances, the providence hasn't happened. We have seen, have we not, time after time, these young impatient men who desire to be in the position of leadership. And yet they bang, bang, bang. And they end up causing more problems than, than solutions. They produce Hagar's and Ishmael's. The Bible says, in one of the letters of Peter, that young men, submit yourself unto God. Wait upon the right time. And in due time, God will raise you up. We see that there are times in our lives when we must lay down the things that are precious to us, our ambitions, our desires, the things that we want in order to be faithful to God. In order that at the end, God might indeed give us that which has been promised or that we have been called to. Beloved, open up your eyes and look at who God is and what he has done for us in Christ Jesus. And ask yourself if God was so able to do all these things and he did them on our behalf. Jesus born, survived, lived a life, begun his ministry did all those miracles, healed all those people, cast out all those demons, went through the, the dangers, through the passion, through the crucifixion, through all those trials, received upon himself the very wrath of God. Not just the scourgings of the Romans, not just the beatings of the Jews, but the very wrath of God that was yours and mine was laid upon Christ. And that for a while he was separated from his Father in heaven, whom he had never been separated from. And then we know that he died and was raised from the grave. 
came back to life in order to show that God had accepted his sacrifice and that the way had been opened for men and women to receive reconciliation with God through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if God was able to do all those things, and we've just, re- we just finished reading through the book of Acts and of the adventures of how the early church was able to survive the, 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 the workings of the Holy Spirit through the apostles, as it's called. If God was able to do all those things and to maintain all those things and did them deliberately in order that you and I might receive the faith in our time, somewhat 2,000 years later, do you think he is unable to fulfill his promises on the next step? Do you think that, it, that your experience is the first time he's ever experienced these experiences? It's a lot of experiences, doesn't it? Do you think that you stand alone? That you're a new thing for God? Let's be careful of our pride. Let's be careful of our arrogance in believing that God has never experienced a being like us before, has never experienced a problem like ours before, that he's unable to help me. He's unwilling to help me. He's too busy. I'm too unimportant. Beloved, consider Abraham. Abraham was, yes, he was a man of of possessions, wealth, power, but he was a foreigner in a foreign land. He had no standing except for that which was his own wealth. He wasn't a prince in their land. He wasn't a a politician or a king or anything. He lived like a a gypsy. We threw up his tents here for a while, lived there for X amount of weeks, months, years, and then go and travel somewhere else and put down roots there. God was able to answer that man's prayer and work in that man's situation. So he will with ours. The idea here again is that one who walks in the way of faith will undergo trials of faith. That you will be required to offer up those things which are precious to you. Not inconsequential. Abraham wasn't required to offer up Ishmael. He wasn't offer up, to offer up one of his servants. It was something that was, un, it was the most precious thing in his life. His only begotten son. And why did he do it? Not because he wanted God's more blessings. Not because he was trying to earn God's love. or anything, Because God had said, therefore he did. And he knew because of his experience and because of his knowledge of God of the character of God, of the power of God, that God would be still able to fulfill his promises. Again, it says here that he believed that God would raise him from the dead. Even if he was to die, he would come back to life. You and I, beloved, as we live our lives and go through our experiences, your experience... As you live your experience with God, you will be tried. You will undergo difficulties, circumstances, hardships, difficulties. And it's part of the Christian experience. And how you handle them. The spirit in which you deal with them will indicate 
will be a, a demonstration to the world around you and to yourself that God is with you. That God is real, that God is living and active and that he is the true God. Beloved, let us be faithful. Let us continue in the way. One of the reasons why we have weak Christianity in our, in our generation today is we don't know the promises. We kind of know what the Bible says. We live in a kind of knowledge generation. A generation that, that is familiar with the Bible but yet is not living in the reality of those promises. We're not familiar with what God has promised us as co-heirs with Jesus Christ. And therefore we are weak. We're weak because we don't know. What was that verse, Don, that we used to say all the time? Hosea 4 and 6. My people are destroyed because of lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I reject you from being a priest before me. We see there in that verse, Hosea 4 and 6, the principle that if you don't know, you won't have. The Bible says you don't have because you do not ask. It's the idea of not just randomly asking for you know, more and more stuff, but we must ask according to the promises. We must stand upon the promises of God in our lives rather than just fizzy about, rather than just make up stuff, rather than just say like mewing infants. What do you want? Tell me what you need. That's how I think we as Christians sound like sometimes to God. Tell me what you want, what you really, really want. Tell me. Yes, yes, Spice Cross, okay. But instead, all God gets back in answer is the mewings and, and, and the, the... I don't know. You ever ask your kids what you want for dinner? I don't know. What do you want for dinner? I don't know. Never ask your kids what you want for dinner. I don't know. Beloved... As our kids are, as the children are, we can be us also with God. We should not be so. God has given us limitless potential in the promises of God. But because you do not know them, you falter quickly. Because your life is not situated upon the rock of God's word, but rather upon the shifting sands of popular opinion and human invention. We stood upon the word, we would endure, persevere, and thrive. But when we look, when we base things upon our own ambitions, intentions, appetites, that's when we run into danger. Beloved, Abraham stood by faith, he offered up Isaac by faith. You and I in our lives lived in faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. We will be tested. We will be tried. We will be tempted not as in a, in, into sin. The word there is not that God tempts us into sin. Because God cannot tempt anyone into sin. The idea there is 
again, the being tested, the being tried. And after he had fulfilled this, when he stood fast in his faith, he then received the fullness of the promise. I think so, so many of us have small Christian lives. And I'm not saying to become a celebrity or you know, to be a superstar, to be a conference speaker, or to be one of these people who you see every time you open Facebook or Instagram or whatever else, one of these Christian celebrities come up. We're not talking about that. A successful Christian life, to know God in an intimate and real fashion, not some charismatic weirdness, but in the reality of who he is. So few of us do those things because, once again, we, we don't endure through the test. Our, 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 our faith is small. The tests that we go through are small. And we may not always succeed. We might stumble and fall, stumble and fall, stumble and fall. God picks us up. I love that verse that says, Rejoice not, oh, rejoice not against me, O my enemy, for when I fall I shall arise. It's the, the spirit of a Christian. Even though I stumble and fall, even though I may continue in the pattern of sin for a season, the Holy Spirit shall raise me up and I shall be able to continue on. Beloved, understand this as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, we, we will all endure testing. We'll all endure great trials of faith. Stand upon the promise. Stand upon the reality of who God is. and You will overcome them. And you will receive the promises. You will receive that which God has said that he will give us. He will be real in our lives and his experience will be in a victorious sense. We will have victorious Christian living. Wouldn't that be a great thing? That we wouldn't be a defeated people. That we would be a a people who live in the spirit of victory. And when the world, the flesh, the devil, when those that are around us look upon us, they don't see a, a forlorn, lost, depressed, sad people. You see a people who are victorious and are able to continue. I remember that little lady from, from Vadax when I used to work in Vadax. This is the lady who said to me that, oh, I feel really sorry for your children because they don't have a... A Swedish or a Finnish name. Have you ever considered changing your name to Sarah's name? And I was like, I feel really sorry for your kids too. Have you ever considered changing your name from a Swedish-speaking name to a Finnish-speaking name? I am Finn. But anyway, this one lady said to me one time, I feel really sorry for you, Kyle. For all these hardships, all these difficulties, things that you go through your life. And yet you always seem to be happy. Talk to my wife. Um... You always seem to be, when you come to work, you're always singing. You're always, this, no matter the difficulty you're going through, there seems to be this joy in you. And at that time, everyone was being permitted. Everyone was being let off. Uh, I was the only person in the entire factory that was not permitted. Because I, I, I didn't belong to the union. And I came to personal understanding with my employers. And they kept me on. I was not permitted. And they were like, how do you stay so happy when things are like... The, the factory might end or whatever else. And, oh, and I said, my faith in God keeps me solid. For I know him to be sovereign. And he's the one. Come rain, sun or shine, whatever. And she was like, well, I'm a seven-day Adventist and I don't have that faith. And I was like, well, you know, 
Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Beloved, all of us go through trials, whether you're a believer or not. But a believer, we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we will continue on. And in doing so, our faith will be seen by those around us. The evidences of that will be seen by your actions. Not because you want to obey God. Because you do obey God. Not because you have the ambition to obey God. Wishful thinking. Lord, you know my heart. If I could, I would, but I can't. So, uh, you know, tough. But because we do obey God in the midst of trial, in the midst of hardship, in the midst of the furnace, then God's promises are released to us. Then we live in the victory. Then we live. Not because you want to. Because you do do. Beloved let's be a a generation of obeyers. Of those who know the word and do it. Who hear the word and do it. Not among those who just hear the word and want to do it. Real faith is tried and tested. Real faith is obedient and acts. And continues, doesn't always know the outcome, doesn't always know the process by which the outcome will come, but it knows God. It knows the Lord Jesus Christ. It knows that those things are real and true, and therefore God will be real and true to fulfill his promises. Beloved, let's trust in Jesus Christ. Amen.